Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. You're listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities, and it is our aim to lead you to the cross through the teaching of God's Word. and callings of God are without repentance and that whole thing. And again, Jesus makes an indication of that when he, when he talks about the fact that I'm not going to return until the time when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so Pilate brings out Barabbas and says, which one do you want, Barabbas or Jesus? And they all pick Barabbas. And that was a lousy choice. They did not choose wisely. There were specific people there who specifically were looking at the Son of God. There can't be a huge amount because you're, you're talking about dawn. You're, it's early in the morning here. And probably the crowd was put together by the chief priests and the Pharisees. And so, but there are a number of people there and instead of Christ, they picked Barabbas over Jesus. And then they die and then they realized their mistake. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. And so you guys know about the scourging of Jesus, right? And so they used what, was, what we would call like a cat of nine tails. And um, th- th- basically it was, a, it was a bunch of leather thongs that were tied to a piece of wood for a handle. And in these thongs, uh, they'd put little beads, uh, beads on it. And then they would put pieces, uh, they would tie in pieces of metal and sometimes pieces of glass. And when they would whip somebody, when the lictor would come after them, he'd whip them. And as he whipped them, when he was pulling away, he would twist his his hand and the, the scourge, it was called a scorpion. The scourge was designed to tear into the flesh and rip little pieces of flesh off when he took it away. So the beads were made to, to make contusions to bruise the flesh and the glass and the metal was designed to cut and you know just, just basically turn a guy's back into hamburger. And so we have some histories of Roman scourging, descriptions of these. And a lot of times when a Roman lictor would get done with a criminal after he scourged them, you could see his organs through his back. So that's how bad this is. Another, another thing that you have about a Roman scourging is the scourging was specifically to draw out crimes that the, that the criminal had done before. So they're looking for confessions. And so the lictor would hit a guy, would whip him, and then he'd say, what else have you done, basically? He'd question him as to what else he had done. And so Jesus, taking a Roman scourging, is not going to be confessing to anything 
because he hadn't done anything. Then on top of this, it's a Roman who's doing the scourging and he's a Roman soldier. And the Roman soldiers that were in Jerusalem was, were despised by everybody that was there. That, it, it would be like if Russia took over the United States or if the Democrats did. No, I'm just joking, I'm messing around. It would be like if Russia, <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Kinda. If, if Russia took over the United States, you guys, you guys ever watch Red Dawn? Yeah, and so the, you know, there's the 1980s one and then the, you know, the 2016 one or whatever. But you have, you have this whole thing where there is a group of soldiers that come in and take over American cities and the way that the Americans felt towards these guys. It would be exactly the same thing in the city of Jerusalem and actually in all of Israel. And so these are occupying troops that none of the Jews want there. In fact, probably the reason that Barabbas is there is because um, he's probably a zealot and somebody who the Romans considered to be a terrorist. And so you've got a Roman soldier who's in a posting where everybody hates his guts. It would be the kind of thing where you don't want to go to a Jewish restaurant because they'll spit in your food and they'll do it for sure. They'll probably put other gross things in your food because they hate you so much. And so the Romans would basically keep to themselves as much as they could, and the Jews just were awful to them. And so here's this Roman lictor, and he's got the king of the Jews in front of him. This guy says he's the king of the Jews, and you can imagine him taking out every bit of his bitterness and rage and disgust of being posted in this place where these Jews are so hateful, so different than anybody that they've ever known and just going after Jesus. And one of the things that you have in the Bible is that if you were going to whip somebody, you could not give them more than 40 lashes. And so the Jews, making sure that they wouldn't break that commandment, would always give them 40 lashes minus one. You, could go, you couldn't get any more than 39 lashes in Jewish law, but these aren't Jews that are, that are scourging Jesus. And so they're gonna go until they wanna stop. And so I don't know how that would go. Um, I kinda think that at some point after his anger is quenched and he realizes that this man is not going to say anything and that all he's doing is destroying the, the man's back, that the lictor would, would just get tired of it and at some point he would just peter out and stop. And that's what would have happened with Jesus in this situation. So by the time that you got done with this kind of scourging, Jesus's back would just be shredded. It would be shredded. And you guys probably watched the Mel Gibson movie about Jesus and, and his death on the cross. That is the movie that did the most justice to a Roman scourging. But I think it was probably worse than what was shown. And what was shown was completely disgusting, completely gross. I've only seen it two times, and it was because we went down to the movie theaters to do it, and I've never watched it again. I don't, I, I don't wanna watch that. It just, it, it, it just actually, it hurts my heart, totally. I don't wanna see that. And that's the kind of thing that Jesus went through for you and me. Another thing that, that happens in this whole thing is the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. 
and we found, uh, again, according to history, that there was a game that was called the King's Game, and that they would mock a prisoner uh, after their scourging by putting a, putting a crown of thorns on their head and putting a robe on them and that kind of stuff. And it was actually like a board game. And there's a place in Jerusalem where you can, where you can go into a Catholic nunnery and about 25 feet down below the level of the street in Jerusalem, they found the pavement that was in the praetorium and they've actually found this board game type of thing. It's a place where they, where they drilled into the rocks and, and put certain names by certain points. And it's what would, it, part of it was doing the scourging, part of it was putting on the crown of thorns, and another part of it was putting on this robe and then mocking the one that was crowned. And so you have them doing the king's game, just literally mocking the son of God. So they twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. Where do thorns come from? Why do we have thorns? It's the curse. And so when God passes out consequences for the fall, one of the things that he says to Adam is cursed in the, is the ground for your sake. It's gonna yield thorns and basically weeds. It's gonna be, yield weeds and thorns, and so Jesus here is crowned with a symbol of the curse. And that's the reason that Jesus is dying. It's because of the curse. It's because of the, the sin of mankind. And Jesus is paying for that sin specifically. And so you have him crowned with the symbol of the curse. Sin also is connected with scarlet and crimson. Obviously, when Jesus is being beaten, there's blood everywhere. You take a, the, the crown of thorns and uh, actually, I should have I given you, brought you a picture. These are, uh, these are Judean thorns. And so there are thorn bushes in Israel and you can go to them obviously to this day. And the thorns are about that long and they go out, go out on, around on you know, all sides of the bush. And they took one of these thorn bushes and wrapped it up into a crown and shoved it down on Jesus's face and uh, pierced his skin with it. And if you've ever gotten a head wound, if you've ever been cut on your head, you know that the blood will come dripping down and, it, and it's hard, harder to stop bleeding when you're cut on your head. And so Jesus has a back that's been shredded. He's got a face that's covered in blood. His hair has blood all through it at this point. And again, red is a symbol of scarlet and crimson or a symbol of sin. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Matthew 27, 28, it says they stripped him and put, on a, put a scarlet robe on him. They stripped him. And so one of the, one of the things that um, we, we don't really pay a whole lot of attention to when you're talking about the crucifixion is that generally speaking, uh, actually in every case that we have historically, when a person was crucified, they were crucified naked. And so Jesus didn't have a little diaper on. He was, he was there naked. It was designed to, the, the, the whole crucifixion is specifically designed to humiliate the person being crucified totally and completely. And the guy is literally naked before everyone, beaten and naked before everyone, 
without the ability to cover himself because obviously his arms are either tied to the cross in Jesus' case, they were nailed to the cross. I can't think of anything, I can't think of anything worse than that. And so you have the king crowned with thorns, but us, we have a promise that we're gonna have a crown of glory. You have a, the king with a robe of contempt, but for us, we're going to get robes of righteousness. You have Jesus, who is the real king, rejected as king, but us, Jesus made kings and priests. And again, the, the whole issue of what Jesus is doing at the cross, he's taking everything that I deserve so that I can get everything that he deserves. I'm the one who deserves a crown of thorns. I'm the one who de deserves a beating. I'm the one who de deserves the mocking. I'm the one who deserves contempt. And I'm the one who deserves, deserves to be rejected. Not Jesus. I'm the one. And Jesus trades places with me. And I get everything that he deserves. That's why we're going to heaven. That's why we're going to live forever. That's why we're going to have joy and peace. No more pain. No more sorrow. No more sadness. Right? That's why we're getting it. So the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, hail, king of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. This again is part of the king's game. Pilate then went out again and said to them, behold, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, behold the man. And I really think that the, that the reason that Pilate said, behold the man, is because Jesus is still standing after this. He's been beaten in ways that nobody in modern times, at least in, in our culture, has ever seen anybody beaten. And he's been punched. Um, at one point during Herod's, the trial before Herod, they put a bag over his head and punched him and said, prophesy prophet who hit you. The Bible in the Old Testament talks about the fact that they plucked out his beard. And so some of you guys with beards, just think of somebody you know, like your grandchildren coming up and trying to rip your beard out. That hurts bad enough. Imagine a man actually coming and doing that to you. In any case, um, at the end of this whole thing, Pilate brings him out and says, again, I find no fault in him and he says, behold the man. And what Pilate is doing here is he's trying to basically get some kind of compassion from the people of Israel. And so he figures, well, I'll scourge him and maybe that will satisfy them. But no, that doesn't satisfy them. So verse six, it says, therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out saying, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, you take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. And so again, no fault. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid. And that lets you know in the passage that Pilate's already afraid. So he's had this interaction with Jesus. Jesus keeps saying things to him that are a little bit freaky as far as Pilate is concerned. He hears that the Jews have brought them before him because of the fact that Jesus has claimed to be the son of God, and now Pilate is even more afraid. One of the things that you, that you don't know from this passage is that um, Pilate's wife 
had sent a message to him saying, don't have anything to do with this holy man. I've suffered much in a dream because of him. And so he's got his wife dreaming about him. He's got Jesus talking about being a king that's not from this earth, basically. He's got the high priests, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees coming and saying, this guy says that he's the son of God. And he knows that the high priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees are nothing but a bunch of liars and fakes. He knows what these men are like, and he knows that he's got a guy standing in front of him who's absolutely without fault. He can't find a fault in the guy. He's seen him beaten and not confess one thing, and then they say this stuff about him being the son of God. And so Pilate, again, was the more afraid. Therefore, in verse 8, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid and went into the praetorium and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. And the reason he doesn't give him an answer here is because he's already answered the question. And Pilate walked away. Then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? And Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. And so when you're, when you're looking at what's happening with Pilate here, he's got a situation that's spiraling out of control. He starts off with talking to Jesus and going, I don't find any fault in him. I'm not going to crucify him. And the, you know, he decides that he's going to offer them an obvious thief and an obvious killer. He probably killed some Jews too. And they don't want him. They want to kill Jesus instead of Barabbas. And so he has him scourged and there's just no compassion with these people. There's no turning them back. They're like a, a, bu a bunch of rabid animals. And so there's fear here and Pilate begins to get frantic. And so he goes, where are you from? After he hears it, he's the son of God. He goes, where are you from? Jesus doesn't answer him. And so then he appeals to his power. And Jesus lets him know, you don't have any power here. You're accountable to God. The only power you have was, is what was given to you from above. And then he lets him off the hook a little bit and lets him know that the priests are more accountable to God. But in any case, he puts Pilate in a position again where Pilate's got to make a choice. And so in verse 12, it says, from then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out saying, if you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. You know, again, this is, this is the situation with Pilate and Jesus. And I, I, again, I titled, titled this Pilate Before Jesus. And the reason is because Pilate's the one who's being judged throughout the whole passage. Jesus is just going to the cross and that's what's gonna happen and it's his plan and he's gonna pay for the sin of the world. And it doesn't matter what anybody messes up and, and what anybody does. That is what he's going to do. That's the plan. Pilate here, though, has, a, has an opportunity to actually have his life changed. He's got the Son of God standing in front of him, talking to him. 
Jesus has said to him, you know, my kingdom's not of this world. If it was, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be delivered over to the Jews. And so what Jesus just said there is, I am a king, my kingdom's not of this world, and you're gonna deliver me to the Jews. He just told Pilate his future. And then Pilate, you know, Jesus talks to him. Pilate's, you know, basically, again, in in the previous chapter, he says, are you a king then? And he said, you've rightly said this. For this reason, I've come into the world to bear truth, to, to bear witness to the truth. And anybody who follows me, everyone who is of the truth, hears my, hears my words. And so he's reaching out to Pilate about the truth. You realize this is what Jesus does with everybody? Jesus comes into a person's life. He reveals to them that he is the actual king of the universe. He reveals to them that he has the power to do whatever he wants and there's going to come a time when he's going to do exactly that. He's going to be our judge. God does this. And so the Bible says that the Holy Spirit witnesses to everyone. It speaks to them about the righteousness of Christ, about the judgment that's going to come and about their sin of not receiving Jesus. That's in, we, we talked about that when we were in John chapter 14 through 16. And so that's in those passages. And so God comes along and he begins speaking to people about the truth and about them following the truth. He speaks to their hearts and then they do one one of two things with that. They either receive the truth or they turn away from it. And in Pilate's case, what he did was cynically walk away and say, what is truth? Lots of people are doing that to Jesus right now. They hear about Christ. They hear about the things that he's done. They hear about who he is. And Jesus himself is speaking to those people and they turn around and walk away without really considering the things that have been told to them. Then they start picking others over him. And so you've got this whole thing with Barabbas. Pilate is looking at Jesus and he understands that Jesus is a righteous man and he finds no fault in him, but he's not willing to step forward and do something about this. What he's just trying to do is get himself out of the situation. He wants to extricate himself from everything that's going on. He just doesn't want to deal with it anymore. And so he finds no fault in Christ. He realizes that Jesus is saying things that are making him uncomfortable. And he really gets to the point where he starts having fear about this guy. Fear that what he's saying is absolutely the truth. Fear that what he said about himself is something that he's going to have to deal with at some point. Fear that he's going to have to make a decision that's literally going to change his life. He's a Roman procurator. He's, He's gonna have to make choices here. And so he starts getting frantic about the whole thing and he appeals to his own power and Jesus lets him know he's got none. I can do it on my own. I can do anything that I want. Captain of my own destiny. I can do what I want with you. I can take you or I can leave you. Jesus lets him go, the only power you've got is what my father gave you. And you're accountable for that. And then the subject of friends comes up. Subject of friends come up. And so he goes, I'm gonna release him. There's no reason to do anything more to him. They go, if you release him, you're no friend of Caesar. And so what, what they do is they bring in Pilate's relationship with Caesar and being a friend of Caesar, that's, a, that's basically a title that's given, but it's still a peer pressure type of thing. If you release this man, he's claimed to be a king, and there, was, there is no king but Caesar, you let him go, 
you're no friend of Caesar. And that's exactly what the devil does to most people who refuse to come to Christ. You've been listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities in Kennewick, Washington. If you are interested in purchasing a copy of today's message or wanting to know more about what it means to follow Christ, then please contact our church office by phone at 509-736-2086. You can also look us up online at calvary-tricities.org. There you will find a wide variety of Pastor Steve's teachings to listen to or download for free. If you want to join us for church sometime, we are located at 10611 West Clearwater Avenue in Kenwick, Washington. Our Sunday morning service times are 7.30, 9.15, and 11 a.m. We also have Wednesday and Sunday evening services at 6.30 p.m. We hope you have been blessed today and join us again next time for Crosswalk.